Yes, our reading this morning is taken from the prophet Micah, uh, beginning at uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, and I believe you can find that on page 934 of the Church Bibles. It's entitled, The Lord's Case Against Israel. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Sittim to Gilgar, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today we have our visitor with us, uh, Andrew Koo, and Simon is going to be interviewing Andrew now. Uh, Simon and Andrew know one another. It's a small world uh, because they lived together some years ago when they were, I don't know, how old are you, students? About, about eight years ago then. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, a long while ago. Well, welcome Andrew, and we'd love to hear more from you. Nineties, wasn't it? I arrived in London for a year's work placement as a, as a student, and... Uh, found some digs near my friends in Islington. You know, lovely Islington. Not very far away was this lovely little flat in the top of a, in the top of a terrace with a, a rather large hole in the kitchen ceiling where somebody had set fire to the, to the boiler. Yeah, I don't think you had. I think it was the jackdaws that had nested, but never mind. Um, so uh, I ended up in this place with this strange man from a foreign country 
But he was all right. He was, uh, he was leading Bible study groups, and he was on the PA desk at a, some little church in the middle of London. So imagine my surprise uh, about two years ago when I was at work, and uh, there was an issue that had come up with the, the Malaysian church and the Malaysian government, uh, and the Bishop of Malaysia, who was in contact with the Bishop of Litchfield, said to, said, was trying to organise for the Bishop to say something in the Houses of Parliament, or so the House of Lords, I should say. And uh, this email came through from his, his legal advisor. And I looked at the name and I thought, I recognise that name. Is it by any chance? And yes, it was. <laughs> the same person that I'd uh, shared a flat with so lovely uh, 20 years before. So I'm very glad that we've got Andrew Q here. There's a, so there's this strong, quite strong link between um, our diocese of Litchfield and the diocese of Southeast Asia. And uh, just as by way of introduction, I want to show you a short bit of video um, from, from a, a, a visit that a group of, of folk from Southeast Asia made back in June. June this year. Um, June this year. Just to stay awake, also, count how many appearances of Phil Cansdale they are. A large number have come over from the province of Southeast Asia in order to mark the ending of two strategic missionary organisations that have been on the go for over 100 years. And they've come over to anticipate a new beginning too that builds on a long-standing relationship of partnership and trust with Litchfield Diocese. These exchanges are for mutual learning, for mutual encouragement, and we ought to explore more ways on how best to make this uh, relevant and a source of encouragement for our churches. We've been sharing something of the life of the parish here and uh, just different ways to cross the parish in which we're seeing um, our longing and our passion of living for Jesus, loving one another and setting a table for the world. The province of Southeast Asia is diverse, uh, most, although most of it is rural, but we do have city setting, Singapore for example, West Malaysia as well. So what we saw today, we are drawing a lot of lesson from it. And I must say that the Diocese of Litchfield is, is, is in the right path, as it were, to reach out to people. We joked about something of the huge kind of life um, numbers of people uh, in churches in Malaysia and I think that's a, a wake-up call to us here but at the same stage they spoke in their own culture of how it's becoming harder to be a Christian and how it's becoming harder to belong to the life of the church. We are also dealing with people in the cities who are um, confused, who are finding uh, what the church is for and this field is kind of meeting that very uh, challenge that we are facing. And so maybe in an odd way and perhaps a sad way we know something of that story and we know in this church and this culture and what it is uh, still to be thriving about li living in a culture where it still feels difficult to follow Jesus. Uh, because the province of Southeast Asia, as I said, is still largely rural, and people are still very excited about the church. The church at present is leading in 
trying to get the communities together to get on with life and the church is there with its education program, health program, social development program. I was very keen to show that whilst there are many churches that are struggling and growing old, there are a lot of fresh, exciting expressions too, which can be particularly encouraging when their view of what's going on in the Church of England can often be rather negative. So we're here today for that purpose. So I hope that was... Um clear and helpful in sort of setting a little bit of context between the, the partnership between the diocese. But Andrew, tell us a little bit more, um, first of all, about your role. You are the diocesan and the provincial chancellor. Yes. Um, so basically, uh, like uh, in the UK, the role of the chancellor is as legal advisor to the bishop. So about uh, 14 years ago now, I was invited to become the legal advisor to the Bishop of West Malaysia. And if you have a map, um, you might be able to uh, see. Now, West Malaysia, Malaysia itself is those two bits uh, in white. Um, and it's divided into what is uh, Peninsular Malaysia on, on, on my left here, and um, Sabah and Sarawak uh, on the island of uh, Borneo. Don't get confused with the white bit up there. That's the Philippines, um, which... <laughs> which is its own uh, um, in independent province. So, so uh, West Malaysia, as a, as a diocese, covers the entire uh, peninsula Malaysia. That's the, the, the mainland uh, coming down from, from Thailand. And so that was about 14 years ago. And then in 2012, I was invited to, to become the legal advisor to the Archbishop of the province of Southeast Asia. And that's really that whole bit there. So um, Southeast Asia is basically 10 countries but the Philippines and Myanmar or, or Burma have their own uh, individual provinces. And so historically what we had was uh, Peninsular Malaysia, we had Sarawak, we had Sabah, these were former uh, British colonies. Um, and in 1963, uh, they came together to form the country of Malaysia. Um, and then Singapore on its own inherited, in a sense, a lot of the legacy chaplaincies from the time of the British uh, in Southeast Asia. So it picked up uh, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, and Indonesia. And then about five years ago, Nepal, which has nothing to do with Southeast Asia, decided that they were going to become uh, uh, part of the Anglican Communion. And they, they asked to, to join uh, Southeast Asia, and so they got taken up by Singapore. So basically, uh, the Southeast Asian uh, province has four dioceses, West Malaysia, uh, Kuching, which is Sarawak, uh, uh, Sabah, and, and Singapore. So that's the okay. whole area is roughly about, about, uh, about 250 million people in terms of population. So that's the whole, the whole province is around... Yes, yeah. I mean, that's the population, not, not the size of Christians, okay. but the, the whole population. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, more, about, more about Malaysia. How big is it in compared, comparison to, to Britain, say? Well, um, it's, it's, it's hard to notice this on the map, but actually in terms of land size, Malaysia, both Peninsula and, and Sabah and Sarawak, actually have a land size which is about a third larger than the UK as a whole. Uh, but we have about half your population, so it's about 30 million people. Um, most of the people, about 22 million, live in Peninsular Malaysia and about 8 million uh, in Sabah and Sarawak. And um, what else I was going to say, about 10% of them are, 
are Christians uh, overall. So you've got about 3 million uh, Christians uh, in, in Malaysia as a whole. Um, Bishop Bolly in that video was, was talking about it being a, a mostly rural population, but you've got some extremely um, modern, sophisticated, wealthy parts in Kuala Lumpur and Singapore and those parts. Is that, how, does that, how does that impact on the, on the way the church is? Well, I mean, it, it, it adds to the, the very interesting dynamic that we have in the province as a whole. I mean, we have Singapore and we have Brunei, two countries in the world which have really high uh, GDP, gross domestic product per capita. I mean, it's even higher than the UK. Uh, then we have um, sort of middle-income countries like Malaysia uh, and Thailand and in Indonesia to a certain extent. And then you have newly democratizing and developing countries like Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, and, and Nepal. Uh, so you go from extremes of you know, high urbanization in Singapore, for example. I mean, five million people squeezed onto an island no bigger than the Isle of Wight, uh, you know, for, for one thing. And then you've got Malaysia, again, very massive urban settings like Kuala Lumpur, where I live, and uh, Penang in the north, Johor in the south. And then you, you get to Indonesia. Uh, Jakarta is very dense, but then you've got all these other islands. You've got Thailand itself, Bangkok, very dense, but then spread out, and then very agricultural, rural uh, countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. So the dynamic is very interesting. How do you uh, preach the gospel in an urban setting, and then a rural setting, and, and mixed settings? And then in addition to all that, if that wasn't enough, then you have differing political environments uh, throughout the, the nine countries in, in, in the province as well. So, go, settling on Malaysia for a bit, tell us what the, the political uh, situation is. It's, it's, a it's a democracy, but it's a Muslim government. How does that impact on, on being the church there? Well, in, um, we, we are a, we are a, a Westminster-style democracy, or we, we tell ourselves that we're a Westminster-style democracy, and sometimes I, I do wonder. Um, and we have uh, Islam as the official religion of, of Malaysia. And in fact, in no country in Southeast Asia except the Philippines is Christianity a majority religion. So again, one of the dynamics is in Malaysia as well as in other parts of the world, uh, other parts of Southeast Asia, is how do you deal with Christianity as a minority religion? Um, and the, 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 the needs and the challenges of uh, working in, in a in, a, uh, in situations where sometimes there are laws, and in Malaysia there are laws that restrict or prohibit uh, the sharing of the gospel. Uh, and so one of the issues, for example, which the Malaysian church has had to grapple with over the last few years is the use of the word Allah, which is an Arabic word for God as a, as a concept. Uh, the government in Malaysia has decreed that that word can only be used by Muslims. It cannot be used by non-Muslims. And so if you think of Malaysia where... But it's been in your Bible for a... In the oh, Malay Bible you for know, uh, we had the, the first translation of the, the Bible into the Malay language in 1647 by uh, a, a Dutch person because, remember, Malay is not just used in Malaysia, but it's also used in Indonesia. So the Dutch, when they colonized uh, Indonesia, uh, they had some people translating the Bible. So 1647 is one of the early um, um, translations of the Bible. And the word Allah is used 
uh, as a concept for, for God. But now in, you know, in 21st century Malaysia, we have a government ruling that says that that word can only be used by the Muslims. So how, how do we deal with the fact that, you know, as the Bible is used in the vernacular Malay throughout the region and also in Malaysia, uh, people only know the word Allah for God. And now here comes the government saying, you can't use that word, you've got to find some other word. Uh, to, to, to do that. That's one of the, the many restrictions that we face uh, as a minority Christian community uh, in Malaysia. There was an incident about a year ago, was there, with, <coughs> with, with, a, with a problem with the, the word and Bibles? Well, I mean, the government's done some, some really horrendous things. Uh, they've seized Bibles, so sometimes we get people who come from outside Malaysia. I mean, they're traveling, they come in, and for some reason their bags are searched, and then they find videos or Bibles with, uh, in, in Malay with the word Allah, and they're, and they're seized. And, and we have to go to court sometimes uh, to get them back. Earlier this year, finally, after eight years, we actually had a court saying to the government that they had to return some CDs that they had seized from a Malaysian Christian who was coming back from Indonesia who had in her luggage eight CDs on, 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 on Bible and, and Sunday school material. We've had thousands of Bibles impounded in our ports, uh, you know, refused, to, refused entry, as it were. Um, and then eventually, when they were released, stamped with uh, an imprint inside the Bible saying not to be distributed to, uh, to, to Muslims or this cannot be distributed in certain parts of Malaysia. So really horrendous things which sometimes borders on desecration of, of, of the Word of God, as it were. You, you've told me before as well that there are some issues with the rule of law not always being within the rule of law. Um, and human rights is a major part of, of, of your work uh, in the region. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, one, one of the things, apart from being uh, Chancellor of the, of the Diocese and, and the province, I, of course, that, those are voluntary positions, so I actually run a legal practice. And so uh, another thing that I volunteer for is the Bar Council, which is the uh, professional body of, of uh, barristers and solicitors in, in, uh, in uh, Malaysia. And I, I co-chair the Human Rights Committee. Uh, and so one of the things that we are constantly facing is this misunderstanding of the concept of the rule of law. Our government has it in its mind that so long as there is a law to do something, that means it's legal and you have the rule of law. Of course, lawyers will debate that and say, well, that's really rule by law rather than rule of law. Um, you know, you've got to look at the kinds of laws that are passed and whether they are just and whether they are fair. And so those are some of the, the challenges that we face. So, for example, we now, once again, we used to have it in the past. It was, it was abolished and then we brought it back recently. We have detention without trial. So a person can be put away for certain kinds of uh, conduct for two years at a time, renewable indefinitely, for something which he will never be brought to court and tried. Uh, this is all just administrative detention. We have, as, uh, as you've, we've talked about just now, sort of major issues with freedom of religion, um, and we have restrictions on conversion. Um, basically, it's very hard for someone who is a Muslim to convert out of Islam into any other religion. You have to go through a lengthy uh, court process in the religious Sharia courts in, in Malaysia, and there's never a guarantee that you will eventually be allowed to, to leave. 
So these are some of the things. So the government says, you know, we are doing rule of law, but basically what they do is we have laws for every single thing in, 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 in the country. And as long as there, there is a law, they feel justified in, in what they're doing. So we have to challenge that, that, that thinking. So what's the mood and the feeling in the, in the churches in Malaysia? Is it feeling like uh, under pressure or persecution? Is how, how do you go about evangelism? Well, I think from, from, from right back from when Malaya, Peninsula Malaysia, uh, gained independence in 57, uh, then to the formation of Malaysia in 63, uh, you know, we, we've had waves, as it were, of uh, permission, permissiveness, and then persecution. Uh, right now, I think we are in a very intense period of persecution. It's, that's kind of linked to the fact that religion uh, is very much tied up with race and with politics in Malaysia. So you have the dominant Malay ethnicity in Malaysia, about 55% uh, of the population. And by law, they have to be Muslims. And they basically are the anchor for a ruling coalition of political parties. And the Prime Minister that we have at the moment is under tremendous pressure because there are some allegations of personal corruption that are being leveled against him. And he's trying to sort of rally the troops by, in, in some ways, encouraging a very racial, very religious uh, overtones to the political climate. So a lot of Christians in Malaysia, and in fact, um, a lot of non-Malays in Malaysia at the moment are seeing the country at perhaps the worst possible level of religious intolerance that we've had probably since independence. And so trying to evangelize in that, in that context is quite difficult because um, we oftentimes do get the Muslim Sharia authorities coming into churches and wanting to know what's going on, wanting to know whether there are any Muslims in the congregation and, and things like that, and sometimes detaining for questioning uh, pastors and, and, and preachers. And despite all that, Malaysia is seen as a very attractive place to, to move to. Is that, that's right, isn't it? You, you, you have, like we've just been hearing, issues with immigration and migration and refugees. Well, well, yes, I mean, uh, you know, put that all aside, Malaysia is still a relatively uh, positive economy in terms of growth. Uh, and because of our porous borders and, and lack of a good uh, uh, immigration um, uh, enforcement, uh, a lot of uh, migrants, uh, refugees, asylum seekers, find their way eventually uh, to Malaysia and are able somehow to uh, eke out a living uh, within the, the grey uh, underground economy of, of Malaysia. So we have, uh, for example, um, as I said, a population of 30 million, perhaps an adult workforce of about 18 million people. Uh, but about a third of that, 6 million, are migrants or undocumented uh, workers. So we have this huge issue of having people coming to our, our, our country. And again having to deal with people's fear of foreigners, xenophobia, um, uh, you know, the, the government and the government-controlled media oftentimes paints uh, refugees, migrants as the bringers of crime, uh, the bringers of disease, uh, and all sorts of, you know, anything that's negative is always blamed upon uh, the, the foreigners. But yet, when it comes to employment, uh, the average Malaysian doesn't want to do the dirty, difficult, and dangerous work. So they would rather 
have these unnamed foreigners do that. And so it's, a, it's a, one of those things where we, we rely on them to do that work, but really we don't want them there and we pay them very bad wages and, and things like that. So there's a lot of mistreatment going on. And to top it all, Malaysia doesn't have a concept of refugees in its legislation. We have refused to sign the United Nations Refugee Convention, which dates back from 1951. So a lot of refugees who come to Malaysia um, are in a legal limbo. They, they, you know, we know that they're there, but they're not officially recognized. They could be arrested at any time. And it's only by the, you could say, the, the generosity of the authorities that they don't actually go out and have a, a hunt for uh, um, uh, refugees living, living amongst us. Okay. Andrew, thank you. Um, I hope you've picked up something of what I've picked up over the last couple of years from um, starting to work with the diocese about how the church in, in the Far East is really a mature church now. You know, I, I think back about to the books that I was reading as a, as a teenager about missionaries going out from Britain and Europe to, to the Far East, to, the, to, to Southeast Asia, to China, to India, and all those kind of places. And it's really a, a, a partnership of equals now, I think, between the churches in that we've got you know, very advanced um, technologies and economies. I mean, when you see at the beginning of that video the little five set of icons that, that the diocese uses to illustrate its themes. They were created by uh, a young woman who was based at uh, Shrewsbury Abbey for a year as part of the St. Chad volunteer exchange between, the, well, between this diocese and all our linked dioceses. Um, I think, I mean, I would just like to open the floor. Are there any particular questions that people would like to, to ask of Andrew at, at this moment about the situations? I hear the gentle snores. <laughs> Part can, two, go on. Can, can I just say, while, oh, one, while yeah. we are warming up to ask mm. questions, it's always... The, the, the challenge when you have a, a Q&A for, for yeah. people to, to craft questions in their mind. But it's very, uh, I, I think, um, apt that you're having a, a harvest service today. Uh, as I was telling you in the car, I was getting text messages from my daughter's school saying that uh, tomorrow in Malaysia, Monday, schools will be closed uh, in quite a few places in Malaysia because we have, we're suffering from a terrible haze that's being blown over from Indonesia. So if you look at uh, that part of Indonesia, which is Sumatra, what happens this time every year is that the plantations, and it's talking about the, the oil palm plantations and other plantations, they basically burn uh, the, the land to clear it of all the, the, the debris and detritus of, of plantations. Uh, and it's open burning, and the winds blow it across the Straits of Malacca into Peninsular Malaysia and into Singapore. And in some years it's, it's not so bad, but this year it's um, apparently quite, quite bad. So although here we're enjoying bright skies and beautiful sunshine, uh, in Malaysia you, you'll be hard-pressed to probably see about 500 metres in front of you because of the, the blanketing haze. Um, and so that's one of the issues that, you know, again, the church has to contextualise because people, whether they're Christian or not, um, you know, talk about pollution and transboundary pollution and what is the Christian response to that about responsibility. So you're talking about harvest, they're preparing to start the new year of planting and they do that by you know, burning the land and blanketing the whole region with a really choking, blinding haze. Mm. Any questions? No? Do you want to 
Yes. Joan, come on. Well, well, I think um, in, in, in two ways, and I think this is where I, I, I think, again, your, your text for this morning on, on Micah, especially Micah 6.8, is something that the church in Malaysia uh, struggles to hold on to, that despite everything that's happening, uh, we want to be a community that stands up for justice and to stand up for, for mercy and for righteousness. But in a, in a, in a servant, humble servant uh, servanthood sort of way rather than a dominating or domineering one. So despite all that is happening, despite the many challenges that we are facing, we're still reaching out, even at the risk possibly of, of persecution or, or police detention. We're still going out wanting to, to share the good news, wanting to serve uh, our communities regardless of religion, wanting to reach out to migrants and refugees who are uh, coming into the country. And the idea very much is that, you know, the, God has called us to, to act justly. And it's interesting, uh, Micah is a wonderful passage for, I mean, wonderful cha- uh, book for, for lawyers. And in fact, Micah 6 itself talks about God, in a sense, in a court, presenting his case or getting an advocate to present God's case against the people of Israel. And if you go back, I think, two books earlier, you have the prophet Amos doing uh, a, a similar thing. And the idea in Amos, for example, of a, a justice as a river flowing through and, you know, a, a, a never-ending never stream. So the idea that justice and fairness is something that nurtures the land, that in some ways gives life to the people. I think that's what Christians in Malaysia are, are trying to do, that despite all the challenges that they face, they want to continue to be that uh, sustaining, sustaining uh, life-giving uh, justice and, and and, and honesty and integrity and mercy and righteousness as a testament to their faith uh, to community. Thank you, Andrew. I mean, we, we don't like to let anybody go from here without uh, praying for them first. So um, let, us, let us pray for you. If any of Mag wants to come and join us. Anybody want to come out Anyone? and we'll lay hands on you, Andrew, and, uh, and pray God's